Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this. The end of the year 1985 as we know it. Sure, it ended 35 years ago, but tonight it's going to end one more time when me, Ryan, host of the show, along with Greg and Mike, co-host of the show. You guys are my co-hosts, right? I think so. But I'm the host and you two are co-hosts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we it's, both... it's mostly contractual and pay and residuals. You sit in the pilot seat, and then we both sit in the co-pilot seat. Yeah. How about this? In each other's laps. Where me, Ryan, host senior, and Greg and Mike, host junior, are going cool. to decide what is the single greatest film of 1980, or what is the 85-iest film of 1985? Lady Bird. Lady Bird. <laughs> Gentlemen. Lady Hawk? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you? God damn it, Mike. Just say the right thing. Say the words I, that you think. Never have, never will. Uh, <laughs> if this is your first episode of Movie of the Year, if you saw... Oh, look at this part two. I will listen to this first. Uh, thank you for being here, I guess. Um, but in part one, we gave out some awards and we eliminated four movies. Not eligible any longer for winning the 1985 Movie of the Year is Mishima, The Goonies, Ron, and After Hours. And I would just like to, gentlemen, before we get into the meat of the show, I would like to give you each a moment to, to choose one of those four movies. And we'll start with you, Greg. Mishima, Goonies, Ron, and After Hours. And talk about it. Tell us what it meant to you throughout this season. I guess Mishima is probably the one I'm, I'm going to go with because I was really, I was kind of surprised that that didn't make it. And I think I was a little bit blinded by how into it I was and, and just by the fact that it, it's a hard sell as a, like, you know, you know the 1985 movie Mishima. Oh, yeah, no one could talk about 85 without talking about Mishima, a life in four chapters. But I haven't seen a ton of really good movies, and this is a really good <laughs> movie, and it really stuck with me. It's full of decisions that uh, Paul Schrader really stands behind, and you can disagree with them, like staging things on sound stages and, and really drawing your attention to how artificial the setting is. Or you can just go with it, and I found it. The more I went with it, the more into it I was, and it was just a very transporting movie. If that's your comment after watching Mishima, is I thought the stagey parts were stagey, then uh-huh. you should probably watch a couple more movies. <laughs> Mike, uh, Mishima, Goonies, Ron, and After Hours are all gone. What are you feeling right now? Uh, I guess I'll talk about After Hours because I feel like because it was first. Uh, it kind of got forgotten and Greg was very clear that there was no way over his dead cold body would ever go far. Uh, yeah, I guess I kneecapped that movie pretty hard. <laughs> but it, it's just the kind of movie that's so up my butt, like an adventure that takes place in one night and there's that dream quality. I hate dream uh, segments in movies, but if the whole movie is sort of dreamlike, I'm all in because that's just unfortunately who I am. And Everybody thinks they know what Scorsese does. It's, oh, yeah, gangster shit? Cool. And for him to to flex, and it's there's a fun excitement there that he's figuring out what he's doing and having fun with it. That's all great, Mike. Way to go. But uh, let me tell you about a dream I had last night where I was reading a book. It was a new like conspiracy thriller by Rob Lowe, and he sat there and watched me read it the entire time I was reading it. What do you guys think that means? That you're uh, you've been watching Lowe? Parks and Rec as you fall asleep. Both are true. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to give out so many more Moody Awards, and then also figure out what is the single greatest movie of 1985. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about 
But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey everybody. Keep watching them movies. Before like guys, there's so much pressure. I want to put it off right now. We have four movies. Three of them have to go away. Let's do something else instead. Let's give out some moodies for nineteen eighty five. The first one is on screen duo. Your first nominee, Greg, is Marty and Doc from Back to the Future. Marty, we're the first duo. This is amazing. Uh, this is iconic. I mean, I don't know if iconic takes the award, but if you think duos from 85, this is probably the first place you go. And it's well-earned. They're, they perform not just well individually, but they do well as a team. Yeah, it's so iconic. There is now a <laughs> famous and popular cartoon based on that duo. Yeah, just the two of them, basically. And like and you bit- said, Ryan, not you said this on the last episode, but it, it bears repeating, and I just like repeating the things you say. Uh, like Greg. the the movie allows you to not spend too much time thinking about why this sixty year old and sixteen year old are friends because they have such a nice like colloquy. Yeah, uh, the the part I'll mention based on that, Greg, is not the how Doc Brown did not paint his buildings, and I do bring that up from time to time. <laughs> but uh, you're obsessed with that. It's when uh, Marty's mom comes over to their workshop and Doc lets him in and then gives Marty the biggest wide-eyed, like, what the fuck are we doing here look? (laughs) I'm just like, these guys have a connection and I appreciate it. I'm here for it. Mike, the next nominee is from Brazil. It's uh, Spore and Dowser. So now the other non-Bob Hoskins guy is getting his due on-screen duo. Yeah, it's Bob Hoskins and Hob Bobskins. And (laughs) what they do is just really like... That cruel low level, they're not even middle management, just like are are just reveling in any amount of little power they have over somebody, but in such a charming way. Like charming way to watch. I wouldn't want to be a part of it. Like in the same way that like the police are today, right? They're like they That's hate. not fun to watch though. That that's less fun. Are they less charming? They might be less charming. Greg, the next nominee is from the color purple. It's Celia and Nettie, those two sisters. And we don't have a lot of screen time with them, but here they are on screen duo. Yeah, the whole movie kind of exists because of the love between the two of them. Uh, in the book, it's told as as letters back and forth between the two of them. But that's like the the glimmer of hope is their love for each other. And there's so many dark passages of this movie, but the glimmer of hope is always that they will find each other again. And as awful as it is to see them torn apart, that moment where they come back together is more emotional and more beautiful for you know the the pain that they went through mike you agree i i concur it's weird that it's called on-screen duo i think that's a throwback to the mtv movie awards but if it didn't say that if it was on and off-screen duo like then they would win right like <laughs> yeah it's well, what the carries the entire movie Nettie and Celie played throughout <laughs> the set <laughs> uh mike the next somebody is Celie and shook also from the color purple yeah, it, it's the it's so interesting because it it starts off kind of antagonistic and then how it blossoms into like mentor mentee, but then they both mentor each other at different times. Like they both help each other grow, and there's something uh, really beautiful about watching that. Yeah, it would have been nicer if the, if they got a little bit more time in the movie to to mm-hmm. follow that relationship because it's really complex and it has twists and turns and it evolves. But I feel like the the spirit of it really is captured in the movie and. It's a sweet and and supportive kind of love for each other that is like sexual, but also kind of sisterly. 
and then just ultimately like a, a love that wants to build up and, and develop. And that's what we see Seely kind of like almost transformed by the love of Shug, really. Your final nominee is Floria and Gasha from Come and See. Oh, gosh. These two this went is, through some shit. Yeah, I think that's what they're just like clinging to each other because life is so horrific. And you see how that could bring people together very quickly and very closely. Like they had, they gain a shorthand. Um, and she, she's short shrifted. Like she goes away early on as well. Um, we, what we get from them almost is a vision of like an Adam and Eve at the moments where they're kicked out of the garden, you know, like, Oh shit. Great. <laughs> They only have each other, and they have no idea how to make sense of what's going on in the world. And they're ultimately doomed and condemned um, to toil and then to finally just be kind of like ground up or or to develop the ability to move on on their own and change in, in whatever way that means. And so the two of them together are like, by virtue of that, like classically a duo, you know, they're like the original duo. Yeah, I do think this is a lot like Celia and Nettie in that, like, it's on and off screen. It's like Gasha changes Floria's life forever, for better or worse. You know, like it, even though it seemed like Floria had so little, uh, you know, like power in anything that happened in the movie, uh, meeting Gasha was just still this like milestone moment. All right, gentlemen, your nominees are uh, Marty and Doc from Back to the Future, Spore and Dowser from Brazil. Celia and Nettie from The Color Purple, Celia and Shug from The Color Purple, and Floria and Gasha from Come and See. What are we thinking here? Yeah, I think it was said it early on and often enough that it's got to be Marty and Doc, right? It's the part where you, you pointed out, they were, Mike, where they made a whole TV show <laughs> that is like so famous right now just based on the nature of that relationship and how unusual it is. And your but winner is? Shug and Celia. Come on, Shug and Celia. Come on, Shug and Celia. <laughs> It is Marty and Doc from Back Darn to the it. Future. Darn I'm it. good at this. Just had to get in there and say my wrong answer first. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're going right. <laughs> Guys, I'm still, left. I'm still not ready to cut any movies. Let's do another award. Your next <laughs> Moody is for Musical Moment. Love it. Your first nominee, Mike, is Back to the Future. It's Earth Angel and Johnny Be Good. This was like, I don't know for you guys, this is seminal in my childhood. I think this helped make me into rock music uh and for all the thievery that would then also come with it but he said your kids are gonna love it you're those kids i was those kids uh and it was a little too intense for my parents <laughs> but it to, to fit pack in like one it's fun to watch this two-song duo and and it's so much of a character arc in one and two of him being the most nervous he's been because he's literally disappearing to confident enough to lead a band a thing he would never be able to do this whole time uh, to the point that he's overconfident and freaks everybody out uh i relate to that and i love it and i think it's a flawless five minute part of a movie greg hard to argue with that i do have to say it it feels like this scene from this movie is one of my earliest memories and that's what that's a weird thing about some of these movies is that like i'm not sure i can remember events from my own life that predate like this this scene from this movie but i can i feel like i can remember the first time i ever saw it and being like shit his hand is disappearing and that's what he uses to play guitar so (laughs) the indelible quality of that has to be worth something yeah, I would say that there was a time in my life where I knew for a fact there was three songs only, and it was Earth Angel, Johnny Be Good, and Twist and Shout, because Ferris Bueller sung it on a parade float. Your next nominee is from Back to the Future. It's Marty's Talent Show, where we get to see Michael J. Fox perform Huey Lewis in front of Huey Lewis. 
Good it's for right. too damn loud. Good for this moment that it that it made. I do have to say there is that is like a funny note that it's Huey Lewis. Although watching the movie in the years after 1985, not many people remember who that is. But the movie <laughs> still gives you the impression that you're you're seeing a non actor, and the movie's leaning on like, can you believe you're seeing this guy? And so then you're just the only conclusion you can come to is like, is so that's that's Huey Lewis, <laughs> or like, is it Michael J. Fox in? Like a Makeup. fat suit or something? <laughs> yeah, what's going on here? Uh, that'd be awesome. You would know that it was Michael J. Fox in a fat suit if when it cut to him there was a record scratch. <laughs> you might ask yourself what I'm doing here. Mike, the next one is Bender's Hand in the Air from The Breakfast Club. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey. No, I mean, it's the <laughs> most iconic. Hey, Greg, can you hit the mute button if you have to yawn, please? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's the most iconic part of this movie uh, is recreated so many times and uh, put the simple minds on the map and they are a boring band with a boring song. But this little part makes you think it's a great moment. Yeah, Yeah, this is almost like like if you went to the movie music moment Hall of Fame, this might be in there. All right. What about this one then? It's I can't believe this is nominated. It's from the Breakfast Club. It's We Are Not Alone. It's when they all dance together in their museum of a detention center. I don't like <laughs> this moment. This this whole movie is obviously like, you know, deeply informed by music videos and it met, it gets that other moment perfectly right. But this moment you're like, "Where am I in reality?" Is this <laughs> like is this really happening? Are they dancing, but they're dancing differently than this in real life, or are they really breaking windows and like dancing on balustrades? Like, what's going on here? And this they're is before all dancing like Molly Ringwald. This is before they smoke weed, which is weird because this is clearly the kind of fucking shit you losers do when you smoke weed, breaking <laughs> windows and dancing in, in, like with each other. The devil's lettuce. It did give me my finishing move of any time I dance is I yell until glass breaks. Oh, good. What was your old finishing move? I just punched the window. It's always so <laughs> monumental when Mike gets a new finishing move. Uh, your final nominee, Mike, is from The Color Purple. It's Ms. Seeley's Blues. Yeah, that. I mean, it's, it's part of the t- movie that cements their relationship. Uh, she is not just cares about Seeley, but she is cares so much that she will maybe lose stock by publicly admitting to people that she cares about Seely, which is not popular in this film. And uh, to, to watch Seely's face go from like embarrassed to just glowing. Uh, it, it's just, it's nice. You'd love it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a nice song and that, you know, that's the moment we see Seely go from like, she's been literally rendered as a shadow many times. Uh, and so to have all the attention be on her in such a sweet way, and it's like they're with everybody, but they're really just there together alone. It's one of the more emotional moments in the movie. There's a, a real like misty moment. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we have Earth Angel and Huey Lewis from Back to the Future. We have Bender's Hand in the Air and We Are Not Alone from Breakfast Club. And we've got the color purples, Miss Seeley's blues. Greg, who's taking this down, do you think? It's, it's got to be the hand in the air. I mean, that is just such a classic moment. It's bigger than the movie itself. Mike? I think it's Earth Angel Johnny Be Good. And your winner from Musical Moment of 1985 is Miss Seeley's blues from oh. the color purple. <laughs> I'm so glad you two were wrong. This is the best part of the movie by far. That's true. I, I mean that that part is definitely yeah. true. Like this is the the it's it's perfectly staged. You want to be in that juke joint so bad. Um, mm-hmm. every, Even though every, you're sweating, yeah. <laughs> so much. 
And the color purple won an award that wasn't for Miss Millie. So that's a good thing for the Moody's tonight. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to see which one of these next two movies makes it to the final. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Your number one seed is Back to the Future. Your number five seed is Come and See. This is what it's all about, gentlemen. This is the movie of the yeariest thing that we have ever done. Uh, I think it's clear that one movie is better, one movie is more 1985, one movie is more iconic. They're both in film history. They're both life-changing. Like, What are you even thinking right now? I personally am thinking that I am glad that you guys are here because I think you help me f- not make stupid decisions <laughs> that are not within the spirit, uh, or rather, I make the stupid decisions and then you guys just outvote me. We just ignore you. Um, but this is again, Ryan. You said it, like it's not a question of which is the better movie. That part is so clear, and it couldn't be more clear. But that would be boring if that were our only criteria for how we decide. And it gets, it seems like it gets ap- uh, come and see is obviously the better movie. I think it gets absolutely swamped in maybe every other category that we talk about on this show by one of the biggest movies of all time. Right. It, it's hard. I don't know where this even comes into play that come and see might be the best movie I've ever seen that I absolutely never want to watch again. And That's- I don't know what to do with that information. It is a yeah, brutal I mean, I, viewing. I, I, I'm so glad I watched it. It's burned into my brain. And it's yeah. those two things that you said, Mike. It, it, it's the best movie you've ever seen that like you would actively avoid seeing again. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, that legacy is something. It's not nothing. And I'm not saying it matters as much as anything else, but like, it's something, right? It is something, right, Mike? Are you saying that Come and See does have more merit than The Goonies, which has zero merit? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She ran by um, in the background as a young kid. <laughs> I honestly, like, I'll never forget the time I watched Come and See, which, again, was the first time was for this season. Um, it's in my top 10 movie watching experiences. Uh, like, regardless, like, I don't know where that puts it on my final list of great movies, but, um, and I sort of can't wait to watch it again because there's so much that I wasn't able to explore or was forced to ignore because of the atrocities that I saw. Mm-hmm. There's probably so much great filmmaking going on in there that I, I couldn't like take note of because of the what I was forced to go through by watching that movie. Um, and I do think that this is even different than Mishima because, I, I mean, I, I like to come and see a lot more than Mishima, but also come and see over the last 30 years has developed this, this following of like, uh, sorry, Americans, that 
like it's not in English, but this is one of those movies that is on the have to watch list and Mishima never made it to that level. And yet there's back to the future. I have to say one thing I wanted to point out about come and see, because we did, we talked about Ron last week. Um, one way in which come and see, I appreciate even more having seen a movie like Ron is uh, Kurosawa is known for these huge deployments of, of people as troops. And I think that he does that in Ron and it works really well. Come and see, we we don't just see those soldiers on another hill or down in a valley. We move through mm-hmm. them. And I wouldn't have known before I had seen both movies how affecting that is, the difference between moving through a formation of troops as they walk versus just watching it on, on a, a like another hill or something. And the how much more complicated that must be to move all those people and then also move through them is a technically like stunning achievement as well. Do you know what it felt like, dude? It felt like somebody went up to Clint Eastwood and said, hey, you're making a war movie. Can I also make a war movie while you're doing it? And while Clint <laughs> Eastwood is shooting his like big, you know, all these soldiers on a hill and these wide shots, there's somebody else inside there getting the other angle that we don't ever see from any other movie. I want and them that mirrors- to watch. I, w- I want that to happen for real. And that it, it mirrors the meaning of the movie, right? Which is that, like, I'm going to bring you into this. So, like, you are going to not just be loaded into barns, but also sometimes you're going to be marching mm-hmm. with Nazi troops. Yeah, I mean, that's... So, Ron, even if partially was anti-war, it still can't stop being like, but isn't war so gloryful? That's a word. Uh, <laughs> and and what Come and See does is look at the chaos of just being in a war camp is, and it just moves through that. Like, you feel... Flauva, what's his name? Floria. Floria. Uh, his overwhelmness from the chaos when he first enters, like the quote-unquote good troops, like it's already overwhelming there, and that's just the beginning. But yeah, I think in the Come and See show we talked about, and I think Greg, this was your uh, one of your initial points is that uh, I don't even know if it is anti-war. Like uh, I think at the end of it, you're sort of thinking that like it is sometimes necessary and sorry, and instead of proving that war is bad, I'm just going to prove that it's not all just. Uh, step on the edge of your gun when it's on the ground, it flies in the air, you catch it perfectly, and you kill people who are only evil, it's actually, it's just a shit show the entire time. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe it has to happen, but it's fucking terrible, and it's there's very little heroic about it. And that the bad guys are a mix of people who are like, they're making us do this as much as it's happening to you, and then one guy who steps forward, and I think this is really important, especially for this time, one guy who steps forward and says, like, actually, I'm doing this because I am trying to eradicate all you people. Right. Like, I don't need to lie about why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because, basically, I think you're bad, and so I'm going to just do whatever it takes. And that sort of, like, multiple reasons for why people are committed to a cause in the evil cause, I thought was a very interesting moment. And I find that that's, of all the terrible things that happen in Come and See... That shot of just that guy saying, actually, I think you're vermin and you should be eradicated. That's like the thing that I, I think, for whatever reason, got burned into me. And I just, that's the moment I keep seeing because I keep thinking when I see evil in the real world that there really are people who are just like very like, they, they do think of themselves as kind of bad. They do think like they're willing to do awful mm-hmm. things and they know they're willing to do awful things. They're just being like protected by people who like to virtual virtue signal while they do evil things. Right. And then on the flip side, we have Back to the Future, where I think the big question is, it's it's such a different movie, and its its goals are very different. I don't know if we've ever compared two more different movies, but is Back to the Future, we know it's more iconic, but is it of a quality where it can compete here? Yeah, I think it, it's the whole, it, 
you set your own bar. And I think Back to the Future, except for the one infamous scene, and by infamous I mean infamous in these parts only, that Doc falling off the clock tower is like, other than that, there's not like a shaky moment in the film. It just motors and does everything it wants to do really well. It is a movie that seems like it has a sort of a cleaned up version of this weird cult of sexual assault that was like very much in the, and I don't even know how much cleaned up it is, right? Like there is a lot of like near sexual assault and almost sexual assault. There's a whole plan that revolves around Marty pretending Mm -hmm. to sexually assault his own mom. So obviously that's a deeply troubling part of the movie. That's like one weakness I could see that potentially, or one thing I didn't see when I first watched Mm -hmm. it that I thought about a lot more watching it recently. I think you could argue that they're knowingly like filmmakers are knowingly playing with eighties tropes. Cause when Marty says that to Crispin Glover, Crispin Glover gives Marty the look. We all gave that scene. Like why? (laughs) Yeah, I think that, but like Greg, you said weakness and then you corrected yourself. Uh, I, I, it's hard to know how much it was intentional and was not, but I still think it makes it interesting in a different way. You know, it's like, I, it's not stuff that I noticed about, but it's stuff that I love talking about with you guys when we did the show. And I think it's, I just think it's a, an amazing, very interesting movie on a bunch of diff- different levels. Guys, it's time. Mike, Mm-mm. we're starting with you. Back to the Future or Come and See as Movie of the Year 1985 finalist i think to capture everything that could mean it has to be back to the future for me greg i i want i want to agree with mike but one of these movies is just so important and it's come and see and this is fucking bullshit this is fucking (laughs) dog shit thanks greg now it's all on him (laughs) Oh man, uh, you guys both have great arguments. Uh, it like it makes me come like self reflect on my entire life and what it means to be on this show. And I have to three, two, one, say Back to the Future. I, I'm going to say Back to the Future. <laughs> Motherfuck! If you have not seen Come and See, please come and see. Find it, it somehow. Uh, like strap in and get it watched because you will be forever changed. But I think Back to the Future is going to go to the '85 finals. Fuck! Fuck! Don't and. Okay. About come and see now that we're like finally done with it and we're not going to talk about it anymore. I feel like maybe we discouraged people from seeing it by constantly by some of us saying constantly that we probably only see it this one time. <laughs> I do do the I would say do the one viewing. It really is yeah. worth it. It's not and not just because the subject matter is like capital I important. It's also a really well made movie and it's doing things that like no other movie really does. It makes you feel so uncomfortable mm. all the time, but. It will get inside your brain in such a way that's not just painful. It's a way that also is like opening you up to to experience part of the world that probably as a human you should have some experience with. That's I think the biggest. That's the best point, really, Greg. Is that uh, yes, it's it's about a, an important thing, and therefore it's automatically good. And we go through this all of the time, um, and that makes it hard to watch. And you're like, "What? Well, this actually wasn't that long ago." But really it's the filmmaking you have never seen filmmaking like this and if you're a film fan at uh, there's got to be points in your life where you're like i'm going to sit through the stuff that might be that might not be adam sandler-esque 
and go through an experience and you'll never you it's not just you won't look at humans or whatever in the same way again it's movies you know like it's it's one of those milestone movies and if you're a film fan who really only watches adam sandler movies i think your mind's gonna get blown <laughs> with what film can mean sorry what i meant to say is only adam sandler on netflix movies oh. that's the film fan i was talking to I love the idea that this person only listens to Adam Sandler or only watches Adam Sandler movies and then also listens to our podcast. Yeah. Maybe if the Sandman had been in it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We do have to take a break and we have to uh, say goodbye to come and see in our own ways. When we come back, a couple more awards and we're going to kick out one more movie. I'm going to shoot a cow. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You could pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on bandcamp he's on spotify uh soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check him out. And we're back. Come and see is gone. Back to the Future moves on. Let's give up some awards. You sound down, Ryan. Ryan. I, it's, it's just crazy that we would have to do that to a movie. Yeah. Like, why, don't, why aren't we doing like a show where here are the 500 movies of 1985. Let's celebrate them all equally. We intentionally we can- have them face off. And then every single time we're like, this is painful to us. <laughs> we're not made for this. We just aren't. We're, yeah. we're, we're not strong enough. Um, the two most important things in any movie, uh, but particularly, I would say, 1985, uh, are sex and violence. Guys, what did our bracket do better this year? Before I go over the nominees, do you guys think it was a sexier year or a more violent year? Violent. Yeah, I thought for sure it was going to be a sexy year. I thought there was going to be a lot of like fun, gratuitous nudity and maybe just like a scene where there's like a topless pool party for no reason. Instead, the 492 movies that we're not celebrating, yeah, full of, all that. of that. And it's good or whatever. <laughs> That's better. But plenty of violence, man. A lot of, lot of arterial blood spray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is pretty of... sexy in its own way. <laughs> some, of the, um, some of the violence was sexy though and i you know you guys know what i'm thinking about lady k she can, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about it in a she second. could slice me with her katana anytime i wonder if mishima will also come up as far <laughs> as that uh there, we also have six nominees for best sex uh i'm gonna go through them quickly um greg why don't you tell us about the first nominee and then mike if you've got anything after that it's paul and june hug and dance from after hours this is when paul meets the mother figure at the very end yeah. and this is the sort of sex that we're talking about here, guys, in 1985. He sort of like, ultimately, I mean, ultimately, it's it's completely non-sexual, right? It's like this mother-son dance, and it's like, what is this man really looking for and that he's unable to find? And what has like, the mo- as the movie goes on, it becomes about women who are made grotesque for one reason or another. And age is just like this, at least within the world of the movie, something that like, 
turns these women to this guy into grotesques. And when he is finally able to like actually love in a maternal way, this woman doesn't seem very sexy, but it seemed like a good moment for his soul. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I I think the whole thing is, is that he, he uses that hug to like finally try to figure out what he is looking for. And it turns out that is what he was looking for. And then it's grosser in a whole new way of just like, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not ready to go meet all these women. You know, I just, I want to be up in that mommy's guts. Is how I would say it. And his soul came. <laughs> and then his soul came. Mike, why don't you tell us about this uh, very different one? Uh, I'm done with talking about Mothers and Sons. The next nominee is from Back to the Future. It's Marty and Lorraine kissing the car. It's uh, almost a horror movie. You don't know how far Lorraine will get or Marty will let her get. And it's it's terrifying. And Lorraine is such a interesting, unique character and just like has a lot of gumption. And and Marty freezes in a way that I think my face was also frozen literally every time I've seen this movie of just like, I know it's going to happen, but it's still that same panicked horror watching. This is definitely a movie of, like about incest. I feel mm-hmm. like people remember it as a movie where that hits on some incest themes. This is a movie where incest is foregrounded. Like, will Marty succumb to the temptation of banging his hot mom? Like, <laughs> that's the entire movie. Yeah, when they meet, she's already taken his pants off. Yeah. He's calling him Calvin. Looked inside his undies. Calvin Klein. Yeah. Inside <laughs> his inside. <laughs> That's where that where do you write the name? Like it's a Christmas stocking. <laughs> uh Greg, the next nominee is from the color of purple. It's Celia and Shug. And I don't know what to do with this one because are we doing what we think it should have been and what everybody wants, or what Steven Spielberg gave us, you know? Yeah, I mean, he did technically give us them kissing. So we know and then like kind of did that weird camera drift away thing. Like sexy camera drift away. It it was almost like though that the camera was like, Seriously, Spielberg, fine. I'm going to drift away then if you're not gonna do anything here. This scene, more than anything else, it should be beautiful, but kind of feels uncomfortable. And it feels like the like everybody involved in making it was uncomfortable. And that kind of shows. And it's a shame because Suge and Seely have a sexy, fun relationship. Seely loves Suge from the moment she first sees that picture of her. And so and then the drift away kind of makes it feel like, sorry, we didn't do it. Like, <laughs> we're bad. We didn't get this scene right. But it just it's, it doesn't quite come together in my mind. Mike, see, I, I think the drift away was playing with so many times in movies that don't want to just say show gratuitous topless pool parties. They <laughs> do. They always sh- show characters making out, and then you drift away, and then there's gauzy curtains and like the strings <laughs> or saxophone kicks in. So I thought it was playing with that. So it's like trying to make it very clear in the language of film what's happening now. It is, and yeah, that's a good point. But it's trying to make it clear in the language of film from the '40s, and right. That's what Spielberg, uh, Spielberg is obsessed with, is he's always just wanted to make Capra movies. Uh, and then people were like, yeah, but this time you could actually show some stuff. You could have some representation. And he was like, no, the camera went away. Sorry. <laughs> I tried. The camera did its own thing. Like the next nominee for best sex of 1985 is Andy and Mikey. Mikey kisses his big brother's girlfriend from the Goonies. Oh, so yeah, this is... Andy's eyes are closed and Martha Plimpton is just snickering in a different part of the cave watching the whole thing, which adds like Pranky. a fun, pranky, cuckoldy to the whole vibe. Uh, it's very it's very sexual in a way that when you're 12, literally everything is sexual. I mean, in a world of nominees that are all sons and their mothers, maybe this can move through, Greg. What do you think of the scene? 
it, you know, the problem with the scene is not the scene itself. It's that, like, in legal terms, this is the fruit of the poison tree. And the poison tree is, like, rape culture. And that was just rampant in the movies of the 70s and 80s. So it's like, there's nothing wrong with this scene. It's, it's kind of cute in a way. But um, knowing... Are they that, trying to cover their bases from that by having Martha Plimpton I be I kind the... of think, yeah. And, that's, and yeah. isn't that even grosser? Like, so it's just... You know, a, a lot of a lot of this stuff from these movies this year, they weren't so bad in themselves, but they squeed me out because they were so much like playing with those themes of things that make me feel really uncomfortable. Greg, the next nominee is Lady K and Hero. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how they handle each other? <laughs> okay, so this is going to sound really weird coming on the heels of that, but everybody in this situation is consenting adults. Uh, Lady K is like she's in a very precarious situation, right? Her plan for revenge is hampered by the fact that her husband suddenly dies. So she has to jump ships and the way she knows how to do it because she's a practice study of character is through a mix of humiliation and inflicting pain and then delivering pleasure. And I just feel like the way (laughs) it's done really does. There's like a very BDSM air to this scene. And as awful as she is, if you have any sort of inclinations into that at all, it it's a vibe. It really is. It is a vibe. <laughs> and you're also seeing a master at her craft. Like, not just the performance of the actress, but of knowing that the character is manipulating this guy. He knows he's being manipulated because it's not. she's not that subtle about it. But he, there's nothing he can do to resist her. That's, it's something. If if it was modern, he would just be Venmoing her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little pay piggy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other thing too about it is that I, um, I bet that Lady Sue, Hero's current wife, is not a demon in the sack. So this is probably fucking blowing his mind as far as what sex can be. Yeah, he's always like, "Please hold a sword against my throat," and she's like, "That is not the Buddha way. <laughs> I will not I, do that." I do have to say, we never really know someone's sexual self. It just that's true. Yeah, that's so true. I, I don't want to judge. She might really throw it back. <laughs> Your final nominee, Mike. This is for you. Is uh, it's from Mishima, and it's razors during sex in a movie that handles sex as uncomfortably as its lead does. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the this is what we get as far as like here's normal heterosexuality, right? Yeah, this uh, is this <laughs> is how you, this is definitely the bags of sand of this era where you're trying to describe normal heterosexuality, and it's uh, an older woman. Uh, so you get that part. There's the mother of 85 that's everywhere. Oh, for here. sure. And there's the the pain in the blood because he's so beautiful. So she's cutting him up while they have sex. There's this part. There's this component of lust, and it might just be because you know none of us have ever experienced lust outside of a broken culture. So there is at least this character of lust within our culture, and it seems like within Japanese culture as well. That is as much like a force for the generation of new life as it is this weird destructive like i love you you know i love you so much i want to eat you up right it's like where the wild things are like something that loves but also wants to consume and Mm -hmm. i think that um that is really brought across very well in this mishima In, in his whole life he wanted to be consumed for artistic passion he wanted to be transformed really into that passion. And this is what, that's what is symbolized there. He wants to actually be dismembered, cut apart um, by someone or something he loves so much and just be act, you know, like that John Donne poem. He wants to be battered by into pieces by, by beauty and God and truth, you know, Mm, beer battered. (laughs) 
Mike, are you glad uh, we're not doing points on this episode? Did yeah. you hear how much he fucking would have just crushed you right there? <laughs> that was like four or five different classic <laughs> literature references right there. All right, gentlemen, your nominees are from After Hours, Paul and June, Hug and Dance, from Back to the Future, Marty and Lorraine, Kiss in the Car, from The Color Purple, Celie and Suge, On the Bed, from The Goonies, Andy and Mikey Kiss, from Ron, Lady K and Hero Suck Next, and The Razors During Sex During Mishima. Greg, what do we think is going to do it? I, I'm hoping I carried the day. I Before like before this season was even over, while I was watching this movie, I was petitioning for Lady K to take this mm-hmm. away because this is exactly the type of my wife is very nice and i'm glad i'm married to a nice woman but this is the type of woman that really gives me pause someone who's just bad and mean yeah how how much on and off air you talk to us about lady k we all commiserated how happy we were that you met your wife at 19 <laughs> so that i saved my so I was saved yeah, from, yeah because it's so clear you would be that what did you say pay piggy <laughs> No, I believe I believe Findom is a perversion of a beautiful thing. Mike, did you say your answer, or did you just judge Greg's relationship? I ju- <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, it's got to be Lady K. I, I'm all in on Greg's arguments. The winner is it's Celia and Shug from The Color Purple. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I guess it's a healthy one. That has to, no. <laughs> that, that got points. <laughs> It has to be the thing where it's in our brains more than what we saw on the screen, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it may not be artfully pulled off, but it's clear that the message there is: these are two people who see the value in each other and build mm-hmm. each other up and want to be better and more loving for each other. And it is so clear that for Celie, who has experienced sex so many times in her life, but has never experienced loving and caring sexuality. So I think all that stuff might potentially like kind of like come through, um, even though it's awkwardly handled. And if he left the camera on longer, like based on what we know about how time goes on and, you know, changing attitudes, he might have done it. He might have done something unintentional or even intentional where it was like judgmental and yeah. othering and look how freaky they are. And what we have now is something that it, it as much as we should have gotten more, it does stand the test of time this way. The next one is violence, which is for me and Mike the opposite of the last award, but apparently for Greg the same. Uh, <laughs> your first award is from Back to the... Or your first nominee, I'm sorry. Uh, Greg, we're going to go to you here. It's George knocks out Biff in Back to the Future. Yeah. You know, there's pro- there's things about this that are maybe problematic, but watching him like curl that fist and just get ready to do it, and you just wanted to see this guy Biff get knocked on his ass this entire movie and as that fist curls like you can feel especially if you're a dork like i was am and always will be you can feel your own hand curl and you're like i'm gonna punch biff in the nose i'm not gonna be a dork forever and although i will be marty mcfly will not but, but now as he's laughing somebody he gets punched in the face as he's laughing as hard as he can and looking about uh looking towards the woman that he was in the process of molesting or raping Mike, what do you think? Good, uh, good nominee here. That, yeah, that's great violence. That's violence everybody can get behind. Mike, the next nominee is from the Breakfast Club. It's the story that Andrew tells of how he tapes up the nerd's butt. <laughs> Look, sometimes violence, uh, while troubling and, and problematic, is also very funny, and, <laughs> and this captures all of that. Is uh, it what, what what I like about this story and what the movie does well is in a Revenge of the Nerds in anything else, it would only be a joke and. The way Emilio Estevez tells it is you can see how worried he is that he has this inside of him. 
I definitely saw Emilio Estevez trying to not make it a joke. I I do not think he was successful. It was still a hilarious story because that kid was a nerd and Emilio Estevez is a nerd and they're all nerds taping butts together. I do I do think it's a very good um example of like the kind of violence that seems to make sense for actual teenagers, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like in a more melodramatic movie it would be like I hit a kid with my car and just kept driving. But this is the kind of idly very terrible thing kids really do do to each other and it it sounds funny but would be very painful. So I thought it was like a well-chosen thing. And definitely at that level of uh, parents and administration being boys will be boys yeah. and like not do anything about it. And so then you get to keep doing it. Yeah. Not thinking about that poor kid's now hairless ass cheeks. <laughs> Mike, you would do anything for hairless ass cheeks. Greg, the next nominee is from the color purple. It's the juke joint brawl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This, I can't like, there are some weird tonal shifts in this movie and I don't know what tone it finally should have gone with. But the juke joint brawl from the whole way it is set up with like people like, all right, good night. And like, oh, got to go. For Time the, to go. The piano player. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to deny that this is like a fun, old school Hollywood like bar fight. And it's really executed. Like so much of Spielberg gets executed near perfectly. Yeah. yeah, in a vacuum, every scene is perfect. Yeah, it's this... when you look at the entire movie. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, it's this historical drama just gets a dash of Tex Avery, and you're like, okay, let's do that. So we're doing this now. Everyone in this movie is a person, right, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> and then Oprah had that story where Spielberg said, "Forget about the lines," and she was like, "I improvised every one of those punches in the juke joint. <laughs> I did that all myself." Mike, the next nominee is from Mishima. It's razors during sex. <laughs> yeah, it's sexy, it's violent. Everybody's going down in flames together. What's better than that? Are you are you describing me right now? You're sexy and violent. And we're all going down in flames. <laughs> I this is so much more and like the sex part aside, just the razor part is so much more bothersome to me than somebody uh getting punched or shot. Like mm-hmm. yeah. how little skin little you cuts. can do with yeah, oh like it is. I do have to say there is a part later where he takes off his shirt right near the end of their time together and he is so messed up. Like she yeah. really does start like doing a lot of stuff to him. That that was not a one time thing. Yeah. <laughs> she probably ignores the safe word a couple times. It's <laughs> it's it's so sexual and so violent, like Fall Out Boy could just say exactly what happened in the scene and it would be a hit song of theirs. <laughs> Greg, the final nominee for Best Violence is The Burning of the Castle from Ron. Okay, dang. Second horniest moment in this entire movie. Uh... This is not a scale model of a of a castle. Or if it is, it's it's it seems like a very big version. They burn this castle to the ground and this dude comes tottering out of it and walks away from it so slowly and there is not a moment of it that you're not just like there's not a moment of it that's cgi like that's a fucking real castle with real fire and a real dude who they probably didn't even tell they were shooting yet just walking around going what the fuck (laughs) is this my trailer akira akira is this my trailer and there's that whole element added element to it of uh it reminds me of uh, the hamilton line i couldn't seem to die he like Mm -hmm. is sitting in this and there's arrows just flying right by his head but none of them seem to hit him uh, he just can't, he doesn't sustain any damage because he's cursed and the curse is that everything will fall apart around him. And that is just like, that is brought out perfectly in this scene. And then, yeah, there's the other thing too, that we've been talking about war a lot with some of these movies of how it's necessary, but awful or 
isn't necessarily blah blah blah. There's no like let's just let's hit the castle a little bit and then he'll come out with hands up. Uh-huh. It's decimate everything. Like we're going to just destroy this. And then when the old man finally comes out, the surprise on their face of like yeah. what the. They are that's that's not what we wanted. Terrified that the thing they've been after for the last forty five minutes straight just isn't happening, so they let him go. Well, and it's not just like a failure of their strategy. It's the the whole reason that they did that is so they didn't have to face their father's face. They could just move on with their life. Mm-hmm. That's why they did that to that building. And they thought he would commit seppuku, and he tried to, but he just couldn't find a sword. And so they just have like there's no framework for what they're supposed to do when he just wanders out of the castle. Like they know what they do if he comes charging out with a sword. They know what they do if he kills himself in the top of the tower. What if he just comes out and doesn't look at anybody and just walks away? <laughs> and they're like, we don't know. <laughs> Cause it's the ultimate version of parents saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like that's what happened. You right couldn't there. even kill me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, best violence. We have George knocks out Biff. We have Andrew taping butts together. <laughs> We have the juke joint brawl. We have razors during sex, and we have the burning of the castle. Where do we think, Mike? Wh- who who's going to win? I think the burning of the castle is just so big and epic and all-consuming. Yeah, that's Greg? like that's like that Gone with the Wind, at, you know, Atlanta scene. I mean, I I don't always I don't hear it like mentioned in that same breath, but that's like what it is. That's like one of the most epic shots I've ever seen in a movie. More so than Andrew's butt taping story. <laughs> More than that, even Ryan. Yeah, if they had shown that. Probably that would win. Pretty epic. Yeah. And the winner is the burning of the castle from Ron. This is the most slam dunk award of the night. <laughs> it's it's really like it's something to behold. And then think about how this is 85. And like you said, Greg, that's just a real ass castle. <laughs> like <laughs> just look at this historic castle. Watch us burn it. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna kick out another movie. This part of the bracket actually went chalk, at least right here. It's the number two seed versus the number three seed. It's Breakfast Club versus Brazil. How long do you guys want to do this segment for? Three seconds. Yeah, this right. is this is for this late in the game, this is about as slammy as a D can be. These three be slamming. I mean, if I, I feel like that when Breakfast Club passed up Mishima, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then all we did was send it to its death. Yeah, you know? even Breakfast like, Club which is just like just kept sprinting. It's like don't turn around, don't let them know maybe they made a mistake. Just keep going. Very cleverly written movie. Kids, I hear still identify with it. So I guess that blows what I said about it out of the water. I mean, it's still people still identify with it. I feel like you know it. It definitely picks a a level of reality, and I think it does a pretty okay job staying within that level. Um, it's funny at times. It definitely had a big cultural impact. But Brazil just feels like so much more important, so much more interesting, so much more complex. You could watch it three more times and still feel like you're missing things. It's got not four. I like the fact that you said for Breakfast Club, well written. I do think it's a very interesting script. Mm -hmm. We have to give credit to the fact that it just it registers with so many people. Um, The filmmaking is there. It just it does the shit that it needs to do to make the script happen. Uh, but there is something about that script that like people really grab onto, and they feel like this is the first time and potentially the only time I've ever really been seen in a movie. Yeah, it's interesting because everybody talks about how the the kids are a change in every generation. Things are different, and there's no clicks anymore. But for kids of every every 13 year old group of kids will cling to this. 35 years way. later, that that it just means we all at that age feel like you're one of these five. And I think it's important to note too that there is a gap 
uh, like Goonies is a bunch of twelve year olds. That's for seven or eight year olds. Mm-hmm. And then Breakfast Club is like seventeen year olds. That's for twelve or thirteen year olds. Seventeen year olds, I don't know if they're gonna grab onto this if they see it for the first time. But when you're twelve or thirteen, that the characters are also twelve or thirteen right. mentally and dialogue wise, and y- it will touch you in a way that you like you really haven't felt before. Yeah, seventeen year olds um, are specifically into that cutting scene in Mishima. Right. <laughs> Only. Um, but yeah, Brazil, it, it's up against Brazil. I'm going to call it. Greg, Brazil or Breakfast Club? Breakfast, no, Brazil. Good fake out, Mike. Are you going to fake me gonna up? I was going to do that joke. The, the Brazil Club. <laughs> Mike, I need your answer for permanent record. Oh, Brazil. It's Brazil. I say Brazil as well, even though it doesn't matter. Brazil moves on to face down Back to the Future in the finals. And I, guys, I would love to get to the finals, but we have more awards. We are back. Breakfast Club is gone. I'm not sure it holds the same resonance for us that when Come and See left. I don't know how are you, how are you guys feeling right now. I'm st- yeah, I'm doing okay, Ryan. I'm ready to keep going. I don't need You're, to cry. You are ready I'm to stop keep going. My tears with pancakes <laughs> from your pancake drawer. Uh, we have to move on to the three most major awards of the night. It's Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Film of 1985. We're going to oh start with Best Actor. Um, not nominated here, gentlemen is Danny Glover and wow. Ta- Tatsuyu Nakadai, who played the old man from Ron. No way, really? Neither one. Wow. Uh, Danny Glover plays a single note, and then at the end, he plays a forced, jarring note. I don't think he does. That I... rang untrue. Wow. So... I disagree gotcha. wholeheartedly. I so strongly disagree with that. Ryan, do you want to disagree first? Yeah, I think we figured <laughs> out why Danny Glover's not nominated here. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, I get how people complain about the character. But what Danny Glover does with what he has offered is, I would say, and this is going to sound crazy, better than his performance in Lethal Weapon 2. Would you agree with Whoa. that, right? Whoa. Whoa. That's a lot to say. I, I will say, I mean, we see him not just as a monster. We see him as a part of him that is charming, uh, that knows how to use the fact that he's very handsome to charm. And then he even does this thing where when we see him charming, Nettie already knows, like, no, I don't want to be charmed by you. Yeah, and so then his like clownish antics towards her have this really like scary tinge to them. I don't know. I think he took a character that had been rendered pretty flat by the script for the movie and absolutely breathed dimension into it. Because when when he and Nettie meet, Nettie is like ten years older than she actually is mentally, and he when he acts around Nettie is ten years younger. And watching that happen, I I think that takes a lot of skill. Um, and then what about old man Ron? Nobody surprised I, there. I guess I'm a little surprised. Or I guess I'm not surprised. I just think it's he was doing such a stylized form of acting. Um, we didn't talk about it on the show, and I kept meaning to bring it up. But uh, there are moments where it's supposed to be serious. I think it's supposed to be serious, but it's very funny. Remember when he jumps off the cliff and he lands <laughs> in the sand below? It cuts to him, and he's just sitting there up to his waist in <laughs> sand, be- like very still with his like Beetlejuice hair flying everywhere. <laughs> And that's like a laugh out loud moment. And I think mm-hmm. that there are those moments with him where he, the actor is being as serious as he can be, but there's a, a little cultural dissonance. And so it, to us, it, it, it seems absurd in a way that doesn't seem like it's the effort of the movie to make it absurd, but it's difficult because the movie is kind of trying to make him seem absurd. I don't know. I think a cultural thing got in the way there, I guess. I do too. I'm wondering if the five nominees that we're going to get actually did turn in better performances or if they turned in more american performances Mm. and if they did then that's another thing we can feel guilty about mike the first nominee for best actor of 1985 
is Griffin Dunn from After Hours. Yeah, I, I think he does a lot throughout the movie uh, to capture that. Throughout the movie, you go through like, okay, this is my normal movie protagonist to like, oh, this is a pathetic man baby, but I'm still intrigued by what he's doing. And like, he should be way more famous than he is. And then let us also not forget, to add on to your list, uh, him sitting on the bed of Rosanna Arquette, like screaming at her, like, shut the fuck up, bitch. I'm a man thinking, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of these elements going on that all equal this. It's it's seemingly this typical everyman, but it's not. If you watch it again, it's it's not just this vanilla guy that we typically get in movies like this. Right. Yeah, any problem I had with the movie was not a problem I had with him. He like he's doing exactly what he's supposed to. Your next nominee is Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future. Greg, what do we think? Oh, an amazing performance. Um so funny so disarming really like the what's good about this performance is we think marty is very cool we think that he's funny we think that he's hip the audience does i think at least and it's so clear in the world he is not that way he's awkward and people think he looks ridiculous and they don't like his style and they don't care that he can sketch all over the neighborhood <laughs> uh and I, I i think that it's hard to play that disconnect where the world sees his world sees him one way but the audience sees him another I think I probably brought this up on the Back to the Future show, but it reminds me so much of when I was a kid, my feelings towards Marty McFly are the same as my feelings towards Bart Simpson. I thought they were the two coolest, rudest dudes <laughs> and and Raphael, I guess. And it turns out that in their world, they're just fucking nerds. They're just fucking nerds who should get pun- pushed around and beat up. Yeah, I think it makes sense that he is close friends with Doc Brown because the kind of kid who gets along really well with adults, especially older adults, is hated by kids. It's like he has just like and you know this how? jokes out of time. You're talking about like scientists or lunch ladies or anybody like yeah, that? Yeah, from scientists to lunch ladies. If you get along with them, the kids will not like you. Uh, did you guys do you guys think this is too much star over performance? Like, is this just Michael J. Fox's persona, or do you guys uh, think it works well enough where he could take this down? I think it's. I, I think he does a good enough job where he could take it down for sure. I, I see what you're saying, but I think he's got some amazing line reads in this, and he, the movie basically point the cameras point at him, and he has to carry it, and he does. Agreed, Mike. The next nominee is Alexei Kravenchko from Come and See. Yeah, I mean. This is for best performance, and this kid was just actually shit-faced. Not shit-faced, scared shitless. <laughs> just <laughs> him on the sh- set the entire time. Get out of my way. Harry Potter. <laughs> he was just scared and terrified the whole time. But uh, what he does with the... Uh, I mean, this is... The camera is super zoomed in on his face, and he doesn't go too big or broad ever with it, and he's a kid. Like... It's 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 mind blowing. Is this the reverse of Michael J. Fox? So it's star and performance for Fox, and then with this, it's uh, performance and real life movie battling your face and your persona until you want to mm-hmm. die. Yeah, if this kid is really is just a great actor and not a not a traumatized individual, then we've done him a great disservice. But a lot of times it feels like you're looking at a kid who is just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> Are the adults around me like going to protect me? I'm not sure. And the answer is, to a point, yeah. yes. Oh, a scotch. The next nominee, Greg, is from uh, Mishima. It's Ken Ogata. And he is Mishima. Yes. Yeah. It I was re- his life in four chapters. In four different chapters. <laughs> I really liked his performance because we got to see... Um, 
him as like the leader of a group and in that we see him like maybe being the thing that he always dreamed he could be but we also get another scene where like he's dancing at a gay club with a guy and, and maybe his boyfriend and uh the boyfriend touches his sides and says like you're getting squishy and he just like takes one step back and without he doesn't like tony soprano out obviously right he's a very reserved guy I have never seen someone look so hurt in my entire life. And then the guy, his boyfriend or, or partner or whatever goes over to his house to say like, dude, I'm sorry. And the again in that, he's like, you can't talk about me that way. And I like, I couldn't believe the subtlety with which he was able to deliver that message. And this is the same stupid idiot that then goes and like stands on top of a military base and is like, we got to make the emperor in charge again, everybody. And it doesn't feel like a stretch to see those two things contained in this one guy and it's because of this performance this is the same stupid idiot who would then go on and write a story about a woman cutting into his perfect body to like you know like instead of being all fleshy or whatever like i'm gonna take razors and i'm gonna change yeah. it this way dude it's, it's almost like all of his stories shined a little light on <laughs> who mishima was oh shit every chapter oh no mike where are you at with kenogata yeah he uh the we always want the two things at once and the there's like a level of steel in him and you do understand why he is charismatic enough to inspire these young men to make this weird militia. And he is a pathetic weirdo. And you see that equally in there. And I mean, but like the first half of the movie, we were like, this guy's a hero. He's basically yep. Rambo. He's going to change the country. <laughs> and then at the end, ugh, um, context matters. Yeah, dude. My coldness towards this movie or how I feel it left me cold. I, I thought that it did have a lot to do with the performance, but now thinking about it, Paul Schrader made decisions and Ken Ogata perfectly carried them out. I would not take Ken Ogata's best actor award away from him because of my feelings towards Mishima, you know, like yeah. he fucking destroyed. Mike, the final nominee for best actor is Jonathan Price from Brazil. Yeah, to again an everyman role when you think about it the way Griffin Dunn is, I think what what both of these shine a light on is uh when you think every man, you think vanilla and they both highlight like, no, you're uh, also maybe pathetic men is, is a, a sub theme of 85. Uh, he's just a piece of shit. Like I could see, we talked about on the show why people think he's a hero and he's so not a fucking hero. He's a guy who thinks he is, but he never really does the bolder heroic thing. And, but he still stays compelling enough to watch. Well, I would say the person who is most bolder heroic in movie history is Indiana Jones, right? Yes. The way he ran away from them. Um, I would see how that sort of hits home where your life sucks and instead of making your life better, you just are above everyone else and point out how their life sucks until you feel better about yourself. That that was fun to watch. Greg, where are we at at Jonathan Price? <laughs> Part of what I think is so good about this performance is if you remember from The Simpsons, um, Krusty says about Sideshow Bob at first that the reason he's funny is because Sideshow Bob actually has dignity and it's funny to watch somebody with dignity get humiliated. And I think that's what Price really brings like to this role is he has just enough dignity. Uh, he's not like proud or anything, but he has just enough dignity, especially because he's using that English accent, to where like when life pants him in the way that everybody gets pantsed in Brazil, it's that much funnier because he's just enough of like a gentleman that <laughs> to see him get hurt really is hilarious. Yeah, when he steps on that rake, it's really enjoyable. And then, yeah, every time that, uh, every 10 minutes in the movie where we think that we're really rooting for this guy, there's a scene like where he brings the widow the, the papers yeah. and she's freaking out and he's like, uh, okay, just, just sign the papers. It always brings us back on him and I, he kills it. All right. We don't even have to 
bring the papers, really. It's actually kind of nice if somebody does, if you think about <laughs> yeah. it. He clearly wants to be thanked so bad. Gentlemen, your nominees are Griffin Dunn, Michael J. Fox, Alexei Kravenchko, Ken Ogata, and Jonathan Price. Greg, who's taking this down? I don't... I'm going to say I hope it's Ken Ogata. I don't think he's going to, but I really hope... Thinking about it and our conversation about him, I hope he does. Mike? I Knowing us, I think it's going to be Alexi. And your winner for Best Actor of 1985 is Alexi Kravenchko from Come and See. And I think that our reasons for keeping Come and See out of the final two, they make sense. But this is a way to uh, prove to everyone that we saw something new and different. And this performance was as new and different as the filmmaking was. Yeah, for and sure. Yeah, we can't we can't sit here and be like we don't think he was actually performing. Yeah. I'm glad he got the award because like it, that's not us up to us to say like what is on the screen. What's on the screen is a very right. affecting performance. And I don't think if you put any of these other fine actors in the role, they would not deliver what Alexi delivered. You don't think Michael J. Fox could have done Michael this? Michael J. Fox as Flavia. Alexi no, could be Michael be. J. Fox, but Michael J. Fox could not be Alexi. <laughs> I don't know if Alexi could doing? be Michael J. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> next up gentlemen is best actress and i want you to know how i am not saying uh there was anybody not nominated uh these were the five that we got and most of them are supporting it was not a healthy year for lead performances uh the first one we're going to start with greg is Whoopi goldberg from the color purple this whole movie relies on whether or not we can care enough about someone who is a shadow uh, and if we can actually want to stick around and hear what their story is. And to watch Seely grow is one of the most enjoyable parts of this movie. When she finally stands up and you hear her voice and you see her win and she gets reunited with her sister, you've like watched this person go from the very bottom of the totem pole to finally just like able to stand on her own. And Whoopi Goldberg doesn't, or yeah, Whoopi Goldberg doesn't do that in two moves. She does it in like hundreds of little moves across all these different scenes. And she really very slowly builds this growth in a way that it's hard to do as an actor slowly build growth. She's it. She's the thing. Like Spielberg's like, I'm going to change the tone whenever I want. And Whoopi puts her head down and says, like, all right, I will be the through line then. I will Mm -hmm. slowly grow. And I'm going to assume that it was not shot in chronological order. So she was like, I will be the uh, anchor for this movie. Yeah, it, it's so clear how this was a career, like invigorating, star-making role. Creating, yeah. And it's also baffling looking at what she is now known for, that she started with something so subtle and deft. I love Sister Act, but this is not what you see in Sister Act. But see, Mike, and... you yourself are always saying, though, Mike, you're the one who it says more than anybody else. It's it's The, the acting in comedy scenes is harder in some ways, mm-hmm. than the acting in dramatic scenes. And so here we have an example of that, someone who comes in as drama and then sort of evolves to comedy rather than the other way around. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that, like, do less. That was something that she was able to hear and accomplish. Uh, always do less is, I think, very impressive. Mike, the next nominee is from Brazil. It's Kim Greist. Uh, uh, this is the love interest? Yeah. The truck driver? So she was in it. She was certainly the lead in this movie. And... Gosh darn it, I can't think of a more 80s type actress who you would never think of or see again. Sorry, Kim Greist. Should we just cut her right now? I got nothing nice to say. <laughs> she did. Nothing mean. She just She had fine. two different ways she had to play, I thought, which is interesting, though, which is the imaginary version that kind of like loves him 
And then the mm. real version that is just like, get the fuck out of my truck. I'm gonna <laughs> you to death, idiot. And I, you know, to, so she had those two moves. That was good. It's definitely that, Greg, what you just said is definitely something I wish more boys had seen about how what you think girls are acting like is not how they actually <laughs> are. Uh, but I, this is such a miscast. This is such a. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Greg, uh, next up is Molly Ringwald from The Breakfast Club. The, uh, Molly Ringwald's not my favorite actress in this movie. But I think that maybe an argument could be made that it's easier to play Ali Sheedy's role. It's easier to play the quiet, really reserved person rather than Claire, who's like kind of living out loud. Like, okay, I know that you guys think I'm a bitch and I'm not going to change who I am because of that. So I guess you could say that I'll just I'll own being a bitch. Uh, And that's but at the same time, you can see that she's taking psychic damage from that, and mm-hmm. it is really wearing her down uh, relatively quickly. And she's already under so much stress for just like a high school girl who you can almost forget she is. So that's a lot to do in one performance. Yeah, she carries so much of like she is the mean girl in any other movie, and injecting humanity into that isn't just the script, it is what Molly does with that. I mean, I think that the key scene is there's a leap that the script takes. There's one scene where uh, she goes from lipstick in the bra to Bender making fun of her. And there's a lot of stuff. It feels like it's cut. Like everybody just makes jumps in this conversation. But her reaction to that of like, uh, I can't take this belittling anymore. Uh, I think that's her uh, for your consideration scene, I think, in the movie. Mm -hmm. All right, Mike, the next one is Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. You have said this is basically you. Tell us why. Uh, yeah, just like weird for weird's sake. Damn straight, I'm gonna make a bologna sandwich and then chuck that bologna right at a statue's face so I can pour pixie sticks on the sandwich. Like, what was your dandruff felt- situation in high school, Mike? Oh, so bad. Yeah, yeah. I was so, gonna I, say that's like the number one way in which I identify with her. If I if I do that thing, if I shake my head over a drawing, same result, buddy. Yeah, I, I, once in a math class, two kids were behind me and I heard somebody whisper oh, no. and I could feel the point lice and somebody else said dandruff not in defense of me but somehow in their tone dandruff was worse than lice uh so in a lot of ways i was ali sheedy but i i just don't think she gets that much to do and she doesn't do that much with what she is given i mean ali sheedy is the go-to if you don't like this movie it's it's all revolved around ali sheedy it's how they treat her when she's the quote-unquote freak it's how they treat her Mm -hmm. when she puts on the makeup like well when she puts on the makeup that is I will I will always say always say that's the worst makeover I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It makes me so angry. Yeah. But when she says they ignore me, come on. That's yeah. work. That, there's a lot in that sentence, yeah. yeah. And you don't see it. Like I I don't I don't feel like it seems strained. I feel like it, you can that that's like a real emotional response. The other thing too is as opposed to Molly Ringwald's uh lipstick bra scene and as opposed to Bender's banner day in the Bender household, like they give these speeches uh for Ali Sheedy she just talks about all the sex she has. And then at one point she's walking through the hall and she's like, Oh, I just made all that shit up. Like that's her monologue. <laughs> that's, that's her big yeah. point is like, Oh no, it's all bullshit. <laughs> I don't care. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, the final nominee, Greg is Leah Thompson from back to the future. These are supporting it's, roles. It's just, we had to do this. Yeah, man. I, I feel like we didn't complain enough now in 85 about what terrible representation there was. It, like women are, over half the people <laughs> over over half the people are women so why why are there so few roles not according to movies she's doing the thing here where she's you know you see her first as a mom and she's got on like the way too much makeup and they're like i'm an old lady now because i'm 38 <laughs> years old 
but her sort of like <laughs> Tina Belcher level, like I am here for boys energy, I found extremely endearing. I was such like a horny high schooler. And in a boy, <laughs> it's 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 like it's gross and weird. I find in a girl, it's so endearing when they're like boy crazy in the way that she is. And she's just very like upfront about it you know? yeah like, that's just so what I'm about so right open now. about it yeah <laughs> uh yeah I, I think the way she gets starts at sad mom goes to horny tina and then into like healthy mom all of it feels real and natural like i think leah thompson should get more credit and should be in more things that is for sure uh well we haven't celebrated Caroline in the City yet. We we should have a uh, show can't about wait for that, that show. I've yeah. seen literally every single episode. Okay, so is it better than Suddenly Susan? We don't know. Frankly, we don't want to know. Gentlemen, your nominees are Whoopi Goldberg, Kim Grease from Brazil, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club, and Leah Thompson from Back to the Future. What do we think is going to happen here? I think my whoop, chair whoop, is going to break whoop, whoop, soon. Your chair, your chair is going to break soon. I think my chair is going to break. Soon. <laughs> okay. Well, that's just independent of what that's just what I think is going to happen next. <laughs> okay, so what I'm thinking why you ask. I have you talking about your furniture. Mike is Arsenio Halling. And so For I'm just going to I'm saying one of the names of one of the actresses. I wasn't saying Leah, 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 Leah. I say Whoopi's going to win. That's my. Oh, prediction. yeah, for sure. Whoopi. And your winner for best actress of 1985 is Whoopi Goldberg from The Color Purple, which means we gave that movie infinitely more Moody's than the Oscars gave at Oscars. Oh, you said the name. Sorry. The, you weren't supposed to say the name. They were the Voldemorties the whole time. The Oscars that shall not be named. When we come back, this, this is it, guys. It's the movie of 1985. Gentlemen, your number one seed is Back to the Future. Your number three seed is Brazil. Let me ask you this, first and foremost. Did you always see this coming? Like, Did you think that this was going to happen the entire time? After yeah. the Brazil, Brazil show, yeah. There were just so many movies that started with the letter B. I knew one of a B movie had to take it all down. Do you wish that it was Jerry Seinfeld's B movie? (laughs) Yeah. If it came out in 85, for sure. This was one of the seasons at the very beginning of it. It it felt like with a number one seed like Back to the Future, is it a waste of our time to do the whole show? So that felt like the way from the beginning. And then when we watched Brazil, I had seen Brazil before, but I had not like seen Brazil before. When we watched that, I was like, whoa, we've never seen a movie even half as good as this. And, and just so the three of us know, like for like an on-air meeting, um, if we think that Back to the Future is the first scene, it's going to destroy. So let's not do it. That means that we would not have been able to watch Ron Mashima yep. come and see. Like, let's just do the year. Yeah, always so do the really- year. The year will surprise you. <laughs> I, I, Brazil gives everything we well, like. I can't remember what episode we said it. If it was last week or this week, but it's straddling that line between popcorn and art. And fuck, man, if you're a dummy, you're gonna love this movie. Because it'll give you just enough of that Mad Max juice. And if you are smart, you're going to fucking love this movie. Because you're going to look outside and say, it is happening now. Oh, my God. But it, remi- it like it remembers us lowly stupid action fans. Right? Yes. And it gives us the big samurai fight scene. It uh-huh. remembers the, like, the lovers of comedy. This movie, this movie, if it didn't have the comedy, it would be Come and See. And Come mm-hmm. and See is, is, is so arduous, right? But this movie is like... We'll keep you laughing sometimes. And then ultimately it ends and it's bleaker than come and see actually, yeah. because come and see there's this idea that like maybe civilization's going to carry on and things are going to be okay. In Brazil, the, 
the end of the movie is like the only escape is insanity. That's the bleakest message around. Yeah, it's civilization will carry on and isn't that horrifying is their message. <laughs> but I the thing that I I don't see happening here and maybe I'm wrong is I love Back to the Future and it always felt like it was going to come here, you know, come all the way to the end. But can we say all that stuff that we've said about Brazil and then say that back to the future is what it's more 1985. I mean, it, I don't, it was, I, I'm right? not even sure if that's true, you know, like right. it is so 85 and it's so iconic in general and for the year it came out, but so is Brazil, you know, like it, I feel like that uh, Brazil has all of back to the futures punches and then other punches to get. I've been thinking lately about how we kind of live in the world that the 80s was trying to warn us about in part, like punks were trying to warn us about and and, um, people who were talking about race were trying to warn us about and people who were talking about gay rights were trying to warn us about that, like, even if things seemed like they were slowly getting better in some ways, that we were seeding through capitalism, let's say, and through authoritarianism, authoritarianism, like a world that was going to be really bleak if you gave it 40 years. And that's the world we live in now. And that's what Brazil is telling us about. Brazil is warning us of the kind of world that we did not, we didn't break away from this. You know, right. we didn't listen to these messages. We went with the fat cats. We went with the political machine. We didn't go of the way the artists and the punks wanted us to. And now we live in Brazil world, basically. <laughs> then I guess my biggest problem with Brazil is that... Uh, when I was watching it, even 85 or 2020 or anywhere in between, then there should have been flashing lights on the samurai scenes that uh, said, like, in 2020, you'll be living this exact life, but you will not have the samurai battles. Like, uh, the the cool parts of this movie, you will not be part of your life. It's just the shitty parts. I yeah, play how- as a samurai multiple times a day. I mean, I that's, think- a, that's a video game. That's the, the internet culture. But that's the internet culture. But what this movie gets wrong is that our own creativity will still be in there enough to hide us from the horrors. And we none of us have that anymore. It's it's just you got to tap into Netflix or video games. We are going to play D anD D in two hours. We're <laughs> we are hey, podcasting whoa, whoa. right now. We're podcasting right now, so we don't have to think about how the world is. <laughs> we are going to go escape into our own world yeah. of, of magic and imagination. Yeah, I, I think the real lesson is if your spokesperson is somebody named something goofy like Jello Biafra, nobody's gonna fucking listen to your real message. Get a better name, punks. <laughs> Try again, punks. I mean, okay, so. How can it be Back to the Future then? Because it, we, it feels like we're kind of crowning Brazil here. What's the argument for Back to the Future? It's the first seed. Like it gets the least amount of argument. Like I mean, I can if call it right now. Somebody, if you say or like can, almost anybody on the street, Back to the Future was the movie of '85. They'll be like, "You're right." But anybody that I talk to, they'll be like, "Oh, good job, dude! Like way to be super original." You know, <laughs> uh, I get a lot of shit about Eyes Wide Shut being the movie of 99. Like, a lot of people are like, what the fuck? There's 12 better movies than that. Um, there's not, though. Well, yeah, yeah there's clearly not. We've done the science and the screaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like, I'll, I'm just going to call it, and I think I know what the vote is. And Back to the Future, we've talked about it for the last two weeks. We talked about it in its episode. It is nearly perfect. It's so much more interesting than it has anything any right to be. It is, in a lot of ways the same as breakfast club or the goonies but when you watch it in the span that we did or like you did in 85 it's clearly so much more it's clearly very thoughtful screenwriting and filmmaking uh but brazil is just the shit yeah new favorite movie it's all those things and and more yeah i mean like it, it this 
Brazil is not just the movie of the year for 1985. Brazil is now the movie of this show. Basically. Movie of the year of the year? Yeah. I mean, if, if we put them all into a big bracket and had them fight. Oh, yeah, I want to. <laughs> I, I think this one would tower over the others. One of the most horrifying and, and magical parts of Brazil is the that I'm sure people rolled their eyes at back then and thought it was too much is the how fine they are with violence. That yeah. the restaurant will blow up and you're just like uh, a little in our way of eating. Oh, Thank God, you. Yeah. And I can't think of anything more true in any movie I've ever seen than that. We're, we just carry on through so much fucking bullshit. That's the problem is we just keep carrying on. Not everybody, but like I'm guilty of this. You just keep getting up and doing the same shit day in, day out mm. while you watch things around you absolutely fall apart. And the crazy thing, Mike, about the thing that you specifically said, if watching this movie in the 80s, it was like, oh, this is sci-fi-ish, ish, I guess. And then watching it in the 90s, you're like, oh, that violence is happening in other countries. Like that mall that just exploded was other countries that are doing this. And now watching it today, it's like, oh, that's another state or that's another city. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. it just keeps getting closer and we keep rolling our eyes and moving on with our lives in the same uh, like the same way. Yeah, I'm sure if we made the country watch Brazil, there'd be so many people who are like, Michael Palin's character is the hero. What the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah. He's just doing the good work of the government. And I want to I wanna disagree. Like, I hear that and I want to disagree with it, but it's just clearly true. That's just... <laughs> that is how it would be received by people who want there to be someone strong and vicious in charge. I want to say congratulations to Brazil for winning Movie of the Year 1985. I want to say congratulations to Greg for all of your victories this year. I want to say congratulations to Mike for Mike all of your victories this year. And I want to say congratulations to me for not just hosting the season, but, and Mike, I think you'll agree with me, doing such a good job that I have been anointed permanent host, and I will be hosting (laughs) this show from now on forever. We were going to do 1985 in perpetuity, and no matter what happens, I will be hosting, and uh, we will be talking about 1985. So we will see. For, what? I, don't, I disagree. What do you mean? I think now might be the perfect time to tell you, Ryan, this is a coup. Wait, hold on. Like, the perfect time to interrupt me is in the middle of my rousing speech? Yeah. Well, it seemed like you were wrapping up. Like you were going to say goodbye. I don't know if that's the middle of your speech, unless you have several exits. Goodbye, oh, yeah. good night, and my speech continues now. Uh, normally, on a good show, and a good host would know this, uh, is at the end of the show, you would say, what is happening next season or next week? Uh, I did. Me hosting 1985 Forever. No, see, that's <laughs> nobody wants that. Uh, we made a promise. It's in our bylaws that we will switch years by many a year every but if season. I'm in, if I'm in charge, I can change the bylaws. No, that is... No, uh, these are not norms. These are law. <laughs> we have no norm-based things. We're all about Denny's and Denny's, we're all about Denny's, Cliff. yeah. Uh, so next season we are gonna do 2001, and fuck you, deal with it, Ryan. We're gonna do one movie for the entire time. I mean, I love the Kubrick film, but mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. you think we should expand from that? It's the 2001 minute in 2001 minutes. That's what that season is all about. <laughs> and I will be hosting. How about that? How's it? How, how, how about them apples? Well, Ryan, it seems that makes you my competitor. Oh, there will okay. be blood. I get it. Is not that year, but Greg's going to start the season off with a point. Well, let me uh, let me just say this real quick, Greg, to you, and I hope that you uh, agree with me that it might seem like me and Greg are against each other, but it's me versus Mike and Greg versus Mike, and Mike can go fuck himself if if everything that I'm hearing about is true. Yeah. First All right. Well, 
to all of our audience. Thank you so much for listening. Take a, a four-month break or so, and then come back when we have a different host, because I guess Mike is taking over for Greg, for Mike, uh, for Micah. I just said for Micah. Uh, my name is Ryan. Thank you so much for listening. Congrats to Brazil. And, of course, keep watching those movies.